This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about. show is hosted, of course, by your friend and mine, John Syracuse, and by me, I'm Dan Benjamin. Today is Sunday. What? Sunday? October 14th, 2012. It's episode number 89. We'd like to say thanks very much to our three sponsors, HelpSpot.com, Hover.com, and sourcebits.com we'll tell you more about them as the show progresses we would also like to say thank you very very much to our friends over at cashfly.com these guys provide our bandwidth for this month Uh, they're the most reliable cdn in the business don't believe me did your download come fast from five by five that's because they host all of this stuff they're our cdn and we love them you can go to cashfly.com to learn more and make sure you tell them you heard about it here on five by five Hello, John. How are you today? Doing just fine, On Dan. this Sunday. It's Sunday. You like this, don't you? You'd rather do it Sunday, wouldn't you? We're recording on a lazy Sunday. Lazy Sunday afternoon. A Listen Sunday. Some, some light sounds of smooth jazz. Some smooth jazz. I can't do the smooth jazz guy's voice. No. Can you do it? No. That's got to be in your bag of uh voices. I could probably do it, but it, this is not the time or the place. Oh, this is not the time. Okay, this is too, too much dignity on this show. Right. To do the smooth jazz voice. Yeah, we don't, we don't yeah, upset well, anyone. We'll have a laid back uh, Sunday show. Laid today, back? Right? I mean, you're you're probably already drunk. Me? No, not no, me. No. Never. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't mind Sunday recording. I think my wife minds it because now she's got to wrangle both the kids. Yeah. Well, I do this, whereas on Fridays, they're off at school. Fridays, they're at school. You're home alone. Doing yeah. various and sundry adult activities in your house. Sure. Better for your family. We'll keep recording Friday for your family. then. That's a good idea. Okay. And yours. And mine. And, and so you every- don't have to go turn on the AC in the office. Yeah. So that's why we're starting a few minutes late is that here on the weekends in this, in this facility, this lovely facility here in Austin, Texas, our temporary permanent office space they do not run the air on the weekends. It turns off and you've got to go all the way across the building with your little key card and uh, wave your key card over a little panel in the back corner of a wall. And and that makes the AC come on. In theory, I'm waiting for it to actually get get below about 78 degrees in here, which is actually warmer than it sounds. All right. I think I'm going to try to take this show this week. Not slowly. Let's but do a long we'll, one. We'll, we'll be relaxed today. I don't know yeah, if it'll like be a, long because I don't have much of any topics really to talk sort about. Sort of like dude. a lazy, you know, like drifting down the river on an inflatable raft. Yeah, but like without the hepatitis or whatever you get in those water parks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not supposed to be the germaphobe, I know. <laughs> You're not. I've been in, in enough of those lazy river water parks <sighs> that, that, that kind of skeeve me out a little Hepatitis bit. in those. Great. I don't know. Now I can't go to the, those either. What's the waterborne illness that you get in water parks? I don't know. I don't know. That. You, can you get that amoeba? Maybe. You know that know. brain amoeba? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Toxoplasmosis from Is, cat poop? <laughs> no, there's some amoeba that gets, it goes up your nose and then you, it goes in your brain and you die. Okay, like all, all of a sudden, this is a back to work episode. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta focus. Let's right. let's bring this back in. Let's I talk guess. about some tech, <laughs> so that, technology. This is a big tech show. Yeah, maybe we'll start with follow up. That oh, sounds okay. like something that we do. Sure. Yeah. All right. So f- for the loyal listeners who listened not only to last week's episode number eighty eight, 
but also to the After Dark after episode 88, you may have noticed that the show ended abruptly. Uh, and I just wanted to reassure everyone <laughs> that the show ended abruptly because I last week had a cold and I was once again reaching for the mute button so I could blow my nose or cough or something like that. And instead, I grabbed the disconnect button, which is about a centimeter to the right of it in my little floating palette thing. And since that was the end of the show, I, I said to Dan, <laughs> I explained to him over I am, reconnect so we could have a regular goodbye. He said, ah, don't worry about it. But I just want people to know that's what actually happened. Right. You were not you were not upset or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. And or no, no more upset than usual. Exactly. That's my secret, Dan. I'm always angry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I just I, it was a misclick and it wasn't worth reconnecting to say goodbye. But I just wanted everyone to know that that's what happened. And for people who are like, what the heck is an after dark? This is after we are done recording the show on most shows. We actually continue recording and usually and we'll have a discussion and those can be found at five by five dot TV slash after dark. And there's one for almost every episode of the show shows that are done here. And you can also get a little feed that has just hypercritical and just hypercritical's after darks on it too. And that's in the right hand side on five by five dot TV slash hypercritical. Those are the URLs. People are always asking about those feeds. You got to think I have your feeds all sorted out now with the feed burner. I, th- I think so. We, I mean, this would be on, this would be non show specific follow-up, but for the benefit of, of listeners is um, the mass exodus from feed burner happened and feed burner does some kind of, some kind of redirection and not all, Podcatching clients such as Downcast, which seems to be the one most people are are having a problem with, but I don't think it's specific to Downcast. In fact, and and this is there's no need to email me telling me that your non-Downcast podcatcher also has this problem because I know they many others have it, but Downcast seems to have the most vocal audience, or maybe it happened there first. I don't know, but it does not follow. I guess the redirects that Feedburner created so you would get something that would say hypercritical parentheses obsolete feed um it hasn't affected download numbers so i know people are still getting it it doesn't affect itunes it doesn't affect uh i have not gotten it to have a problem on any of the apps that i use but i understand some people have so i apologize for the trouble and if you're hearing this it probably means you figured it out already but for some reason if you haven't just resubscribe to it and it will it will be happy, and uh, now that we control our feeds the way we should probably always have done, we'll never have a problem again. Lesson learned. Indeed. Indubitably, as you would say. Never trust anyone. That's right. On the internet. Okay. Uh, first bit of follow-up. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we discussed uh, the iOS 6 Maps situation, and uh, I talked about Apple versus Google and their different philosophies on doing things, and... Uh, Pointing out that Google is not afraid of the brute force solution where they will do clever technical things, but they will also say, well, it looks like the only way to get pictures at the front of every building is to have a bunch of cars drive on every single street in the entire United States. <laughs> so let's just do that. Right. Which sounds crazy. It sounds like one of those, you know, boil the ocean things. But they just said, you know what? We'll just do it. So that was the smarter and harder. Was that the title of the episode, I think? Smarter and yeah. harder. Yeah, they, they work smarter and they also work harder. They just bit the bullet. And, and that seems not to be an Apple's DNA. So a bunch of people have sent in uh, feedback, giving examples of where they think Apple has actually employed a brute force type of solution. I mentioned on the show, I think the data centers where they just said, look, we need this iCloud thing is going to be big and we're doing the music store and we have all this other stuff. We need to just get, you know, let's just get, make the biggest data center we possibly can and make multiple ones of them. Apple's not too public about that stuff, but they have been trying to do stuff there. But even in that case, a couple of people wrote in to point out that like, as has been discussed on past shows, 
they don't do what Google or Facebook does, where they decide they're going to build their own hardware and write their own software. They're still using, you know, commodity, uh, not commodity, things like, you know, we don't know what they're using, but it looks like they're using expensive uh, commercial products like EMC storage and uh, maybe at one point they were using Sun servers and now who knows what they're using. But they're certainly not, as far as we know, doing what Google and Facebook do, which is like we're going to build our own yeah. server hardware and certainly not what Google does, which is we're going to make our own server software, uh, almost our own operating system. Not quite. I think actually Google has its own build of Linux with its own kernel and everything, but it still is Linux. Uh, so that is still is a little bit of not quite going the Google route to like recognize that server operations are the core competency of the company and we should be doing it all ourselves. Kind of like you doing the, the feeds yourself. You know, someone right. else could do feeds for you, but uh, it's a real bummer when that person uh, drops the ball and then like, you know, maybe you feel like, well, the, it, since feeds are such an essential part of podcasting, maybe we should control that ourselves. Yeah, so I apologize for that trouble, but that's a that's a great analogy. Yeah, I mean, like... Uh, it's it's worse in the case of Apple because they have a hundred billion dollars and they really have no excuse. Whereas you're were at various points running a one man operation and you know it kind of makes sense for you to not do everything yourself. But now you're expanding. But anyway, uh, another example people sent in was retail stores. Uh, mm-hmm. Apple was having problems with retail because you'd go into CompUSA back in the day and there would be a bunch of Macs off in the corner covered with disgusting dirty fingerprints with a hundred folders named <laughs> on the desktop from the kids banging their hands on the keyboard and, right. and randomly pressing command N back when that would make a new folder. Oh, such days. Uh, and no one was looking at them. And if you went over and looked at them, a salesperson quickly came over and sold you a, a Dell S box. I can't, I, it almost comes out of my mouth automatically, but I can't say that on the show. But anyway, you know what I'm saying? I do. Uh, or a compact S box or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so they made they said, Well, we're going to try to do like a, an Apple store within a store and we'll talk to the corporate big wigs and throw money in their direction until they decide they're, they're going to sell Apple stuff the right way. And that kind of improved matters a little bit, but not really. And they said, all right, fine, we'll make our own store. Because that's what they were trying to avoid. They were trying to be like, we're not in the retail business. We're Apple. We make computers, but we're not a retailer. We don't want to be Best Buy or CompUSA. That's right. a terrible business to be in. Why would we want to do that? But eventually they came kicking and screaming to the realization, you know, or, or probably Steve Jobs was behind this and said, you know what? Why don't we just make our own stores? I'm sick of dealing with these bozos. These clowns trying to sell our stuff, doing a terrible job. We just made our own stores. We'd make awesome stores. We'd, we'd sell our stuff really well. Let's try that. And, you know, so they rolled it out slowly. It's not like they're McDonald's or Walmart. It's not like there's an Apple store on every corner and they just blanketed the entire worth. But that is, you know, I don't know if this is an example of Apple learning to take the brute force approach or an example of Apple not... <laughs> Not, not occurring to Apple to do that until they've exhausted every other possibility of like trying to work with partners in the store within a store thing and years and years of just terrible retail and how long did they suffer before actually biting the bullet whereas it seems like Google goes to it first like they didn't suffer for years and years of trying to figure out how to do street view in a different way they just went right to it and said we're just going to start this it's going to take a long time let's just do it let's not try to uh, do some clever way to like you know harvest people's smartphone photos and assemble them together or something like that because that's cheaper and easier than uh, paying cars to do it ourselves. Uh, but retail stores, I think, is a pretty good example. But the biggest review, that uh, the biggest review, the biggest example everyone sent in is app review. And that, I think, is an example of where Apple didn't try to be clever at first and get drag kicking and streaming into the brute force solution. Right. Uh, they said, we want to control the quality of the things that we in our app store to be good and we want to have some control over the quality there. So we'll just look at every single application with a human. 
Like that was their first, their and their initial strategy. It's not like they tried other things. Uh, Brent Royal Gordon has a nice email here that I'll quote from. He says, when Apple decided they wanted to curate an app store, they didn't try to engineer their way out of the problem. They didn't design a language that makes it impossible to call private APIs. They didn't implement UI kit in a way that would make HIG violations impossible. HIG is the human interface guidelines. Or port over the garbage collector and ban pointers to prevent crashes or require developers to get their artwork from an Apple-approved graphic designer. Those are all examples of like clever engineering type solutions. Oh, well, we want to have an app store where we have just safe apps. Oh, well, that means we have to uh, make a new language and, and, and uh, forbid people from calling private. No, we're just going to, you know, you can call private APIs, but we're going to have a human being look at them. And they have automated tools, of course, that they run your app through with it check to see whether you've done these things. But the bottom line is that a human being is involved in the process of every single application getting onto the store. Uh, that also reminds me of something from, I don't know if this is still true, but back in the early days of Google, uh, every person hired to Google at some point came across the the desk of or the notice of a, one of the two, well, uh, uh, what are they, Sergey and Larry? Is it Sergey or Sergey? Sergey, I think it's Sergey. Sergey. Yeah, Sergey or Larry, like they would personally approve every single new hire. Not right. that they did the interview process or anything. There was a whole hierarchy of things behind them. But, but they would, at some point it went across their desk. Yeah. And they would say, go, no, go right. on every single person. Isn't that, that crazy? Is the type of, yeah. Well, it's, it's similarly crazy to, I mean, it's not like every app went across Steve Jobs' desk, but similarly saying every application that goes to the app store, a human being has to look at that possibly multiple ones. So right. that is uh, probably the best example, especially since Apple didn't try all these weird engineering-only solutions first. They went right to, let's just hire an army of people. Of course, they probably underestimated how big and how knowledgeable that army has to be. And it, we continue to have growing pains now where they pulled all the Mac uh, app reviewers off to review uh, new applications embiggened for uh, <laughs> iOS 6 for a tall screen. Uh, not iOS 6, for the iPhone 5 for the tall screen. And so the wait time for submitting a Mac application was up to like 41 days average or something like that, something crazy like that. So they continued to struggle with it, but they did go with the brute force solution first and they're sticking to it. So thanks for everyone for the feedback on that topic. I, I still say it's not in Apple's DNA to do what Google does, especially when it comes to the specific things that Google does, like the mapping things and, uh, um, yeah, stuff. Oh, and one of the other brute force examples I get from Google was where they said, well, just, let's just scan every book in the entire universe, uh, which sounds crazy. And, you know, how can we get the information out of those books? Well, we'll just scan every page. Uh, how are we going to scan every page? Well, we'll have a person sit there and turn every page and then put the thing on the scanner. And Dustin Masterson wrote in to tell me that in the smarter and harder vein, Google did brute force that solution, but they also did it smarter. They, did, they worked harder, which means you have to literally scan every book, you know, or get to eventually scan every book. But the smarter part was they created a rig with a camera that points down at the pages of the book that sort of like detects the 3D shape of like the curled pages. You know, when you open a book out, <laughs> yeah. like the pages curl and then and you have to have it has like an IR camera or something that detects the shape so it can figure out how to read, you know, how to OCR the pages, like basically to unwarp them. Because when you look down at a book, the text is curves inward toward the spine, the lines are all warped and everything is weird. And if you try to feed that image as is to an OCR application, it won't figure it out. So they figure out the 3D shape of the book and flatten out the image and feed it to the OCR software. I put a link in the show notes that he sent. It says, the, the secret of Google's book scanning machine revealed. And of course, it's from a patent. <laughs> the patent they got on, of course, they got a patent on this, uh, this device that scans in books. So there's an example of Google smarter and harder. All right. Uh, the last show, I think we talked about app.net and the introduction of netbot yes and you explained uh 
tentus. I don't like people calling it that. I don't. That that sounds wrong to me. It sounds like uh, someone <laughs> m- mispronouncing tetanus. And it doesn't, sound, it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound good. Well, yeah. mo- most of the folks who have replied and uh, written in or tweeted about us, I think they were appreciative, however you pronounce it, of of your detailed explanation. And there were a number of people who said, "I I had no idea what the thing even was until Syracuse correctly explained it." Yeah, this is actually part of the final topic I have later in the show. Uh, how did I know about tent.io, which is the domain name of the protocol, right. or tent itself? I think, I, I don't remember, as things are on the internet, I don't remember everything comes up, but I'm assuming I know about it because I probably talked about app.net on the show and then someone either tweeted at me or uh, emailed back to the show to say, hey, have you heard of this tent thing? Maybe it was the tent people themselves. Uh, so, by me doing this podcast and having a lot of followers on Twitter and, and talking about this stuff, rel- uh, related information comes to me uh, because people are like, oh, I heard you talk about this. Do you know about this? And then I expel it back out through subsequent podcasts. So uh, you uh, people who hadn't heard of Tent before listening to the podcast, you heard about it because you listened to my show and it was on my show because I have a show, <laughs> because I talked about something related. So this this sort of cycle of... Uh, Influx of information and then output again and repeating is uh, something I'll talk about in the, the later topic at the end of the show. Um, but anyway, during that discussion of NetBot and App.net, he said that because of the introduction of NetBot, which is the App.net port of TweetBot, which is a very popular Twitter application from TapBots, lots of bots, mm-hmm. uh, I said, it seemed to me that the introduction of NetBot didn't so much cause a big influx of new users to App.net, people lining up to pay the $36 a year or $5 a month or whatever, but it reactivated all the people who were already there. They had, you know, a bunch of people I knew and most of the people, you know, the people I was following, they'd been on app.net since the funding period. Like they were part of the the funding experiment, the sort of pseudo Kickstarter uh, thing. But they had stopped posting. Like they talked a lot about app.net clients for a while and then stopped posting. And then NetBot came along and it seemed like those people chirped up again. Well, uh, Alex Sabinski wrote in to say that uh, appnetizens.com is tracking the activity on app.net and he said it actually did cause a big influx of new users so if you look in the link in the show notes that links to this appnetizens.com thing if you look on october 3rd and october 4th you have to kind of scroll in the sidebar couldn't figure out how to get a a direct link uh what is it the total users on on app.net and uh, on october 3rd and october 4th all right so on october uh, on September 30th, there were 15 uh, new users added. And then on October 1st, there were 278. And on the 2nd, 512. Then on the 3rd and the 4th, there were 1,300 and 1,200. So there's a big hump in the graph right around the introduction of, of NetBots. So there's a total of 25,000 users. But having a couple of 1,000, uh, you know, 1.5K days, that is a, a bump in the graph. So sure. it's not just that that made new people talk. That's how it seemed to me, I guess, because I didn't immediately follow the new users, but there was a big bump there too. So app.net must like that. Uh, in, in the discussion of tent, speaking of tent, which is a decentralized protocol for doing similar things to what app.net and Twitter do. I referenced a Dan Wyman article, uh, titled something like is a federated Twitter even possible that discusses, uh, the challenges that a federated, uh, not that Tent.io is federated, but basically a decentralized protocol would face in providing something like Twitter. And he listed a bunch of different uh, attributes, and I discussed each of them, giving feedback from Daniel Siders of, uh, of Tent. 
Uh, and Dan wrote me in to say that he wanted to clarify that the article was not so much here are the things that uh, that you need to have to be a Twitter competitor, and if you don't have them, you're gonna you're gonna fail. Therefore, blah. He was really just trying to emphasize how these different qualities are in tension with each other and you can't have all of them at the same time with a decentralized protocol. So, for example, if you're sorting your posts or tweets or whatever, by the time they're received, and that time varies from node to node in a decentralized system, uh, that means that to users on different servers, posts might appear in different order. And that violates the chronology requirement because the times on the servers aren't right and stuff like that. And if you try to fix this by simply sorting them by the time they were sent rather than the timestamp on their on their systems, like then you might have some newly received things inserted into the middle of your timeline. And you can't have both of those things. You either uh, you either accept that you're going to insert things in the middle, or you sort them based on something different than the order that they were actually created because the times might be different. And that's what he was mostly was getting at that. With a decentralized system, the client can decide what policy you want to have, but you still might have some weird behavior. Now, I think this behavior still exists even in Twitter because maybe it's just the Twitter clients I've used, but some Twitter clients will do something like, show me all of my things in my stream and then also find me my at mentions. And it'll do it in two separate requests. And by the time it makes the second request, it could be that one of the at mentions it receives needs to be inserted into the timeline if you have a unified timeline, for example. Um... And even though it's a centralized service, because the two pieces of information you want need to be interleaved and you make requests for them not exactly in parallel, and even if you did, you'd never get them to line up exactly, right? Uh, I think it's not so much that these things are impossible to achieve in a decentralized system. It's that they're mostly not possible to achieve in a centralized system just due to the nature of the way we pull information. Uh, Unified timeline was a big topic of discussion in the last show, and I'm still getting people replying to me, tweeting to me, and uh, sending email that they don't understand what a unified timeline is. I don't think I want to re-explain it. Uh, I've tried to reply to people directly on Twitter and on app.net to clarify to them, usually telling them, hey, download this client and see how it's different from this client. Like one has unified, one doesn't. But I found that many people apparently don't get replies from people they don't follow. Right. So as far as they're concerned, the two things look identical and they don't see a difference. Uh so to, to briefly summarize, I guess, again, uh, when you get a reply from someone you don't follow, if that reply appears alongside all the tweets for the people you do follow, uh, that means you have a unified timeline. And if it appears in a separate place, you don't have a unified timeline. So that's that's where that comes in. Mentions and replies from people you do not follow that don't mention anybody you follow uh, in a unified timeline, those appear alongside all your other stuff in a single chronological stream. That, that's basically what is the unified timeline in your client you just go to one big list and you just scroll and scroll and scroll. You never go anyplace else unless you want to change accounts or do a, a random search or something like that. You just have one thing you look for. With a non-unified timeline, you have your stream and then you have a separate place where you look for those replies and mentions from people you don't follow. Um, and this, this, by the way, is very important to you. As you've discussed on previous shows, this is what you, you, you rely on this. And that is the primary reason why you, you like that client. Yeah, I'm still using NetBot as my app.net client because it is a really, it's a really great, you know, those guys have lots of experience making a Twitter client. And even though I'm not a, a giant fan of their aesthetic, it works really well. It has a lot of features. I like their gestures for pulling up the conversation and stuff like it's a good it's a good client. And I'm using that. Uh, if I found a unified uh, app.net client for iOS, I may try replacing that bot. But for now, I'm using 
uh, netbot. And it still it still bothers me to go back and forth. I'm surprised a lot of people, after I explained what it is and pointed them to Wedge, which is a uh, unified timeline client for OS X for app.net, uh, or Twitterific for Twitter even, a lot of people are replying and, and saying, hey, I downloaded either Wedge or Twitterific and I tried it and this unified thing is great. And so it could be that people just don't know about it and just assume that the way you use Twitter is you have like some place that you tap to see your, your replies from non-followers and some place that you tap to see your other stuff. And once it's all folded into one, they say, I like it. I don't have to go to two places. I just go to one place and see my stuff there. Uh, and then, of course, they, they unfortunately tried to add mention the NetBots guys or the TapBots guys and say, hey, you guys should add Unified as if they haven't heard that enough. No, that's new to hey. them. They're They're brand new to this. Exactly. Well, you know. As I said to the TapBot people, it doesn't mean the NetBot has to add a unified timeline. I just want someone out there to make a good client with a unified timeline because I think there are people who would like it. NetBot, of course, the TapBot guys can add it if they want. It doesn't change their other people who would like to use it the way they're using it now. Just leave that as the default. This would just be an option. But anyway, uh, I continue to wait patiently for an iOS. I think there's one coming out. What was it called? I think I have it in... <laughs> this is where everything is. Everything is Instapaper. Like, there was a, a unified timeline iOS... Uh, client coming out and I want to remember what it is so I throw it in Instapaper uh, that makes no sense but that's where it is and then I just go there and I search for you know app.net and I'll probably find it I apologize to the people who sent me this information about this client I didn't save it but I don't remember it offhand alright uh, and one more thing on uh, app.net we're talking about how a decent and tent we're talking about how the challenge of a decentralized system doing search how do you do real-time search with a decentralized system uh, and twitter had in the past we mentioned in the last show done real-time search by feeding google a stream they called the fire hose right. of all the tweets as they happen in real time and so google could index them very, very quickly, just feeding off that big giant fire hose. And this is and something that they do just just for Google. This isn't something that a regular person can grab access to. Yeah, who else? someone else used to have the, uh, I think Summize used to have the fire hose too, S-U-M-M-I-Z-E, which okay. was a search service for Twitter, just for Twitter, just for searching Twitter. But I think uh, Twitter bought Summize many years ago, and so that went away, and they just probably used them to do their internal search. Uh, but Bruno Grande, or Grand, one of those two, wrote in to tell me that Google's real-time Twitter search was shut down in July of 2011 after the deal with Twitter expired. And I have a link to that in the show notes. So I guess Google doesn't do that anymore, and probably the last time I used it was uh, way back then. Uh, it kind of makes sense that they would shut down because they would want to control their search in-house and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but that's a shame. But anyway, uh, on the topic of decentralized services doing that, there's still confusion in my mind as well as in the mind of many readers saying... Uh, what is the how, how does something like tent scale for people with lots of followers or for real-time search and the main uh point of confusion is uh, getting back to the lady gaga example if lady gaga has 30 million followers does lady gaga's tent server need to send out 30 million post requests or is that only the worst case scenario theoretically worst case scenario every human being on the planet has their own tent server uh Yes, it would need to send out 30 million. But obviously, uh, as discussed in the last show, we would assume that Tent would shake out a little bit like email has shaken out, where most people are on one of four or five big servers. Like an email, most people have a Gmail or Hotmail or Yahoo Mail or something like that or Mac.com Mail or whatever. Like there's a bunch of big services that have most people. 
And then there's corporate mail with their own little corporate mail servers. And then, of course, the, the very fringe, there's the individuals in the long tail who run their who do run their own mail servers. Right. So you would assume Tint, if it ever became very, a very popular protocol, would be similar. And that would probably mean the Lady Gaga, if you can just send a serve uh, an update to whatever the equivalent of Gmail is for Tint, like, OK, I'm going to send one update to the the, you know, the T-mail. Also, that doesn't make sense. I was trying to think of a Google Gmail analogy. Anyway, I'm going to send one response to this tent server that houses like 20% of all people who are on tent. And there I've already covered 20% of my 30 million followers, right? And I'm going to send another response to this other big server and then slowly degrade. And so you wouldn't have to send 30 million. You'd have to send some much, much smaller number than that. Because once you send a post request to the big server that hosts lots of people, you're done. I'm still not sure if that's the case. I've looked at the documentation a little bit. Maybe the 10 people can clarify it seems like that would be efficient, right? From an engineering point of view, oh, I'll just send it to that server and it's that server's responsibility to make it visible to all the people who are on that tent server. For mm-hmm. example, if every single person who followed me was on tent.is and I and I did a post from my non-tent.is tent server, I could maybe I just send one update to tent.is and then it makes sure that everybody who's on tent.is gets it. But on the other hand, I do know that tent people are identified by their sort of URL. So mine is syracuse.tent.is and someone else's is going to be a different name.tent.is and so it seems to me that even though there all happen to be something.tent.is, when you make an update and you want to tell all your followers, it's not like you go through your list of follower URLs and try to find common substrings, do you? Like, oh, all these people are on tent.is. I have to send in a post request to to what exactly? Just tent.is without, without the name on the front of it? It seems to me that if everyone has a URL, you have to make post requests to every single one of those URLs. And yeah, they may all be virtual hosted on a single you know, cluster node instance of tent.is. But as far as you're concerned, as far as the other nodes are concerned, they can't make any assumptions about how those things are served. If everyone has a different URL, doesn't it have to send 30 million post requests? So this is still a mystery to me. I guess by mentioning it like this, I'm just implicitly asking people to come in and explain it to me. Uh, I just, I'd be just as happy to see what the results are in action, like have a bunch of people set up a bunch of tent servers and see how they behave in reality between each other. But if any tent people can clarify that, send it in. Yeah, that, and that's what most people have been telling me, that, that tent's scaling solution is the same as email scaling solution. A bunch of big servers have most people, and only at the long tail do people have their own servers. Uh, and the final bit of follow-up is related to that. I mentioned uh, email as my analogy for what tent is like and saying how uh, nobody leaves email and you can't kill email because if you can kill Gmail or you kill Hotmail, email still exists as a thing with or without those services. Those people would just go elsewhere, uh, right? You can't kill the protocol. Uh, and as for no one leaving email, everyone wrote in to tell me that Donald Newth uh, left email famously. Yeah, people can quit the internet. I mean, was, it, was it Mark Pilgrim who quit the internet? One of the high profile tech nerds yep. decided they didn't want to use the internet anymore. That's right. Uh, so anyway, Knuth is the, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Knuth. 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 I don't like saying the K. Oh. He's not on the internet, so he won't hear this. I can pronounce his name anyway. Right, you will never say it any way you want. Yeah, Donald, Donald Knuth. Like Knuffle Bunny versus Nuffle Bunny. Anyway, <laughs> uh, they're very similar, Nuffle Bunny. And I'm, by the way, I'm Nuffle Bunny. I'm, apparently, I'm Nuffle Bunny and Knuth, not Knuffle Bunny and Knuth. Right. But he quit email. Uh, but... Uh, on email being unkillable because if Gmail goes away, it's not a big deal. Steve Schreiber wrote in to tell me that during his few years when he was at Hotmail, there was the equivalent of a red phone hotline between AOL, Yahoo, and Hotmail. 
and eventually Gmail was added in there. And says if any of the any of the providers were experiencing an issue that would cause them to slow their acceptance rate of incoming mail, this hotline, or actually a conference bridge, he calls it, was invoked. Uh, each of these providers accepted billions of inbound messages a day. If any one of them saw internal problems that caused them to delay, let alone decline inbound messages for a time, the messages would begin to queue up on outbound mail servers uh, or an intermediary store and forwarded systems. So once, even if you have a decentralized system, what, what Steve is saying here is that amongst the big guys, amongst the big players, there's so much concentration of population of email amongst these three or four big servers that if any one of them has any sort of trouble, because the email is stored and forward where you pass the message along, if any one of them stops accepting email or slows its acceptance of email, the whole system can get clogged up in a terrible, catastrophic way. And they had the, the hotline between the jailers say, you know, they would call up and say, hey, uh, Hotmail, we noticed your, your incoming accept rate is slowing down. You're causing a huge backlog. Because if you have billions of messages and if where you're trying to send them to isn't accepting them, you have to just like it's store and forward. You store them and then forward them. And storage is not unlimited, right? So you have a problem here. Like if you could draw this out as a plumbing type diagram, there's a huge flood of water coming. And if it can't continue down to the next pipe, it's just backing up in your current pipe. And you could have a big tank to fill. But once that tank fills, you know, you have a catastrophic problem eventually. Uh, so even a decentralized system, it's kind of like a too big to fail type of thing. All right. Banks, even though there's not one thing that controls email, when the players get big enough, if one of those big players has problems, it's almost as if you've destroyed email. Like if, if, <laughs> if, if Yahoo and Gmail and Hotmail all stop accepting messages and just yeah. fold their arms, you have like 10 minutes before basically the end of email. Yeah, that would like, be oh, pretty bad. I can send my email just fine to my friend at his domain. Well, you better hope it doesn't hop through one of those things along the way there. And the spillover of the, the backup on that system could, you know, cause problems. So this... This doesn't mean decentralized is bad. It's much better than centralized. And we're managing to do with email. Email is a proof that it can work, but it shows that uh, you have to be careful. Once things start getting big, you know, the red hotline phone is not part of the tent protocol, but it would have to be if tent ever got as big as email. You want to do a, uh, our first sponsor? It's a good idea because we're at the end of the fall. End of the FU. So our first sponsor is helpspot.com. It's friends of, uh, friends of ours. I was, you know, I think he was up in New York. I didn't get to see him when I was, uh, when I was up there, but that's all right. Because HelpSpot is still pretty cool. It's a lifeline for your customer service. What does that mean? It means you can change the entire way you do business when it comes to supporting your customers or working with the folks who use your service or your product. How? Because you can, instead of having chaotic email interactions and trying to figure out who's doing what or how you're helping one person with one problem and another person with another problem, you convert all of this into structured help desk tickets. They can be managed. They can be tracked. You can even uh, let your customers help themselves by using their integrated service portal. And you can automate things like escalations, responses. I use this software myself uh, at two different companies I worked at back when I was a corporate stooge. Uh, you don't have to be a corporate stooge to use them. And in fact, uh, you should try this for your own service. Why? because it will save you so much time. You'll know exactly what's going on with the folks that you're supporting. You'll know exactly if, oh, if there's a trouble ticket and uh, you, you get someone who's doing your support and they don't know what to do, they escalate it right up to you. You only get bugged about the things that you actually need to help out with. And you can get a really great perspective on everything that's going on because they have real-time integrated reporting. It lets you keep tabs on what's happening. Anyway, they're doing something special for 5x5 listeners. You get 100 bucks off your purchase if you uh, use the offer code 5x5. And how do you do that? You go to helpspot.com slash 5x5 and 
making a hundred bucks off. They got everything. You don't want to host it yourself. You don't want to download and install it yourself. They'll do it. They have a hosted solution. It's really great. Good folks over there using these guys for years. Helpspot.com slash five by five. Check it out. Henrik Hodon in the chat room. Hope I got that right. Henrik. Uh, Henrik. Yeah. Like uh, mentions. It's like a Vulcan word, which I'm sure you'd be mm-hmm. familiar with. That uh, XMPP, uh, which people may know as Jabber, uh, apparently uses DNS to do this. They put a, an SRV record in the DNS. So for any given host name, you can look it up and find that record and, and find out what tent server should you should use to communicate with whatever tent.is would list tent.is as its, uh, you know, uh, tent server. So then, uh, as he says, you would end up with 30 million DNS requests, but those would be cached locally and all that other stuff. Uh, so Jabber does that, and I guess that's a possible solution, and maybe that's what Tent does. Maybe that's what we'll hear about as people are furiously typing their, uh, filling out the feedback form right now to tell me this. All right. Topic for today. Two to- I got two topics today. Uh, one of them is inspired by listening to Back to Work. I just listened to it yesterday, and I said, oh, I actually want to talk about that on my show, so I'll do that, but that's my second topic. Okay. Five by five show uh, with Merlin Mann and, and, and me, we do a... Do a weekly show, you do, and you uh, listen to it, and you're a big you're a big fan. I am. I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, and by my first topic, uh, can you guess what my first topic is? Nothing really interesting or exciting has happened for anybody that we know over the last week. So i I would guess you're going to talk about toasters. You're guessing correct. You already looked at the show notes, though. You're forgetting. Again. I didn't. I actually didn't this time around. I al- oh. I always do, but this time I didn't look. But I can look right now. I'm going to. Well, you don't have to. Because... I'm going. There it is. Click in the links link. Oh, you, you are going to talk about it. Yes, I love that you're going to talk yes. about it. Uh, Dan's sarcastic reply about nothing has happened interesting in anyone's life. Do we know about it? He's referring to Marco, of course. Marco Arment. He is the... Uh, host along with with uh, me of a show called build and analyze that we do here on mondays yes and at this point i feel like it's kind of surprising that build and analyze is not called the podcast because uh, <laughs> as people may may or may not know marco uh is the creator and founder of instapaper as part of instapaper he has a thing called the feature which is uh you know selected uh, an editor selects the best of the things that people put in instapaper or whatever and there's also th- something called the brief which is kind of like a a very uh, succinct roundup of the week's important tech news. Yeah. So he's got the feature, the brief, something that's not called the podcast. But this week, uh, I forget when it launched. It now, launched do you think he re- he regretted that by not calling it the podcast? Uh, I doubt it. And by the way, there there are a lot of shows out there called the show. Um, Attack lots. of the show. Attack of the or, or even just the show. If yep. you were to Google the show. You would find hundreds and hundreds of places, and that's because you can't you can't copyright or protect the name that way. Yeah, isn't that interesting? That's like uh, can't copyright fonts either. You just got to give them a different name, right? Only the opposite, because these all have the same name. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this past week he introduced something called the magazine. The magazine, and this is the issue app one that he's been talking about on his show for a long time. He's like, I'm working on this new app. I can't tell you what it is. Right. He would say in various times, it's not. It's not a floor wax. It's not dessert topping. It's not a Twitter client. Uh, it's not a podcast app, even though he said he is playing with that, too. Uh, what was it? It was kind of a misdirect because people kept thinking, what kind of app would it be? The app part of it, I, the app part of it, of course, is an essential component. But it's not, you know, the important part is that it's a, it's a publication. 
right? And the app enables the publication to happen, but that's what it is. It's a magazine in the internet age. It is a publication. And the uh, introducing a publication, not that the app isn't difficult, but that's not like, that's not the heart of it. The heart of it is this stuff that you read through the application, the content. Uh, so yes, he wrote an application. Uh, it's a newsstand application, actually. So for the many of us who have nothing in newsstand, suddenly we, if you uh, subscribe to this magazine, you will have something in newsstand finally for the first time. Right. The real uh, benefit to this is that we now finally have a reason to potentially use newsstand. Yeah, and you will find it's infuriating to use newsstand because you can't put it in a folder. And right. every time you want to read the magazine, even though it's the only thing in newsstand, you have to first tap the newsstand right. icon. And then, right on, tap. and then tap the thing. And then if you happen to go back to the home screen, you realize, oh, it's stuck in the expanded newsstand thing. And yeah, these are all Apple's problems, not Marco's problems. But uh, yeah, so he's created the magazine. It's uh, $1.99 per month with a free seven-day trial. I don't know what free seven-day trial means in the context of a newsstand app, so I will let Marco explain that. Uh, some key parts. This is from his article about the magazine that I linked in the show notes. Uh, all subscriptions, even during the trial, even doing the free trial, include access to all back issues. So, if you were to start your free trial, you can look backwards at all the past issues. Of course, there's only one issue so far. The day this magazine was launched, it launched with issue number one. What is the magazine? The magazine is uh, a bunch of articles that. Marco believes would be interesting to tech nerd type people, right. but not necessarily about technology. He likens it to the way the build and analyze isn't, is not a show about development. It's a show for developers filled with things that Marco believes that people who are into iOS development and Mac development would be interested in whether they be developer related or not. And I would, I would take that one step back and say very much that five by five is a network of shows for, for geeks, as opposed to, necessarily shows that are always about those topics it's for people who enjoy this kind of this kind of thing in the magazine i think is uh i mean look at look at the, they get a nice roundup of of articles in this first issue it's pretty good guy or, or or gee english as you say jason snell our friend alex payne michael lopp all have an article in issue number one yeah you may or may not know guy english uh gee. he's another uh mac developer nerd kind of guy uh also i think he's back from the next days as well uh he has his own blog that we've quoted on the show frequently all around good guy he's got his own conference in fact that mm-hmm. is going on right now as we record this is it is it called the singleton conference it is and the c has a little like leech hanging from it yeah i don't know why it's, it's canadian yeah, or something yeah anyway um jason snell of course is the editorial director of macworld or whatever his title is now head poobah macworld I think that's his title. Uh, Alex Payne. Uh, hey, wait, head Pooba or grand Pooba? One of those two. I think it's grand. Yeah. Alex Payne first, I think I first became aware of him when he was talking about alternate like programming languages, like esoteric programming languages, or at least esoteric to some people. Uh, and he joined what was a first called bank simple and then changed the name to just simple. Right. That's like, it was going to uh, try to do an online bank the right way. He recently left that company. Yeah. And he wrote about, that not that process but part part of what caused him to leave or i don't know you read the article and you'll see but it's, he talked about he talks about a life change and that's an example of like he's not talking about his programming languages that he's into and that you know how to manage an engineering organization or the development process he's talking about a change of life it just happens to be written by someone who is a developer nerd but it's more widely applicable than and uh michael lop which you may know from his rands and repose website blog 
so on and so forth, is writing about uh, how do you wrangle engineers and how do you uh, make a successful tech company and what are the forces at work there. He, he talks about the same type of stuff on his blog. Uh, so these things are uh, about a thousand words each. Some are longer, some are shorter, but that's like that's estimating how long these articles are. Uh, and there was five of them, or no, four of them, plus the forward, uh, four in this first issue. And for $2 a month, uh, that's what you get. Every, I believe it's every two weeks, uh, there's another issue. And I believe it is auto-renewing as well. Uh, so you, if you were to sign up for a newsstand, every two weeks you would go into newsstand and there would be a new issue of the magazine and you'd read four or five, whatever, however many articles, handful of articles, about a thousand words in length from thoughtful, nerdy type people about thoughtful, nerdy type topics. Um, part of the, the fact or the forward about the magazine, Marco mentions that uh, he is not currently accepting advertising, but does not want to close the door on it. But for now, basically, how does the magazine work? You pay money to read it, and that's how they make money. Like, it's a very traditional uh, business model. It could be that someday he also takes money from advertisers. He did not want to close the door on that, but right now, that's not how it's working. Right. He didn't say no advertisers. He says, right now, no advertisers. Yep. And he pays the people who write the articles. This is radical business plan. I know it's amazing. You, you <laughs> know. pay people to write articles, then you collect their works into a thing, and then people pay to read it. Uh, the most and then, you, then thing, he distributes it. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, and you read it on iOS. Yeah. Uh, the most interesting thing about it from a writer's perspective is that if you write something for the magazine, you can also post it to your own blog or wherever you want after like a month or something. I forget what the waiting period is. Seems fine. Um, so... That stops people from saying, okay, well, I have this great idea for a thousand word article and it's really interesting and uh, I'd like to write it. But if I write it for the magazine, only people who subscribe to this magazine will ever see it. And I don't know how many people that's going to be. So I feel like I'm limiting my audience for writing for the magazine. And what Barco says is, you can post this to your blog. Just give it a month. Uh, we'll put it in the magazine. You wait until a month has passed. Then you can put it on your blog. You retain copyright on your work, Right. And so that's the best of both worlds. Get paid to write something interesting, but also be able to have it at a permanent URL on your own blog that you still own so the entire world can read it. Um, so that is a novel concept that I haven't seen in any of the publications that I've ever written for, although at various times I have requested it. Like I remember way back when I requested that any blog post I made to my old Fat Bits blog, I could also republish on my own blog if I wanted. Of course, I haven't, but I could if I wanted. Um, so I think that's a great idea. And the second great idea is the same great idea that that uh, a lot of these indie Mac iOS developers have, or a lot of the people who we talk about, or people like John Gruber or uh, Dalrymple or all these other people, is that the way you make money is by spending less money than comes into you. <laughs> That's the secret to profit. What is it? There's some equation that you can point out like that. It's like income minus expenditures, right? That's how it works. So he has low overhead. He doesn't have a staff of 800 people working like the Daily or whatever Rupert Murdoch's thing was, right? He hasn't commissioned 25 iOS developers to make an application with a 3D rotating carousel for, you know, paying them each 200 grand a year plus their health insurance and everything for a year to develop this application, right? He does not have a staff of reporters going out and collecting news. He doesn't have photographers on staff. He doesn't have, like, he has very low overhead. He wrote the application himself, right? The application shows articles right it's not it, you know not that it was not difficult to do but it's it's not 
there's no fancy 3D carousel, let's say that. Right? He, I don't even think he even has the, the 3D page curl animation thing just because that would be paint implement. So that was low overhead as well. What do you have to do to get something into here? You write an article. He puts it in there. I bet the CMS for this thing is not, you know, the most amazing thing it made, but it doesn't have to be. It's, you know, four little articles a week. So how many uh, subscribers to the magazine does he need to make it profitable? Probably not as many as we all think because his overhead is so low. Uh, his the biggest expense he says was his time to develop the application, uh, and the biggest recurring expense is the cost of paying the writers. And in in the forward, what he says is, if it doesn't turn a profit within two months, which is just four issues, I'll shut it down. So that's his business plan. He decides he's going to sell for two bucks a month, uh, issue every two weeks. He pays the writers a reasonable amount of money. He wants to make a little pro to profit above that. And if he doesn't get enough subscribers to start turning a profit. In two months, then he'll stop and, you know, failed experiment, right? This sounds like a very low risk way to try something out that he is interested in. He would, I think he's making something that he would like. He would like to have something in newsstand that's useful. Right. That shows him articles that he likes collected by somebody whose tastes he trusts. Uh, and every once in a while you go and read it and it's cheap. It's cheap enough. You can go ah, two bucks a month. Not a big deal. Right. So it's not really expensive. It doesn't take a million years to read it. They're not big giant articles. Like my Mac OS 10 review is going to be in there filled with. Uh, images and movies and you know secret tooltips and stuff it's like you know it's, it's the type of stuff that you would expect from someone who made instapaper you just want to sit there and you want to read something and it's it's just text and it's nicely rendered text uh and and it doesn't seem like you need to have a staff of thousands and huge overhead to do that and so if he can just get enough like-minded people to subscribe for two dollars a month this suddenly becomes a profitable business and maybe it grows from there and gains reputation and he becomes a publishing mogul someday. Or he doesn't and not enough people subscribe and he stops it. But what did he lose during that time? If, you know, he lost his time and he lost a little bit of money, but not that much, right? Um, of course, his biggest, I think his biggest ace in the hole here is that he didn't have to pay anyone to write the application. Like, he already knows how to do that. And yeah. I bet he probably leveraged some of his code and ex, you know, expertise, certainly, and possibly also some code from Instapaper. Because what is Instapaper for, for doing? Make, it's a nice way to read text. It's got an iOS version that works on the iPhone, you know, iPod Touch and iPad. And he's making another application that works on those same platforms. Uh, the, the best example is, uh, in, in typical Marco fashion, it looks like a simple application, but there are clever things in there. So if you... Uh, Go to an article in the magazine, which I'm assuming you can pull up now, Dan, because I'm assuming you subscribed as well. Mm-hmm. As you were contractually obligated to mm-hmm. by Marco, he'd come and find you. I don't, uh, I don't have iOS devices near me while I record, but I, in theory, yes, I could do what you're saying. All right. So I've got it up here. So if you're reading an article, I'm looking at, whose article am I looking at now? Uh, Guy English is uh, our, our first article here. And it's, it's, it's hypertext. It's got links in it, right? It's not the New York Times where they forget to put links into things that, uh, you know, they mention a website, but the, you can't click on the name of the website to go there because they're the New York Times. Anyway, it's written in HTML. It's hypertext. So if you have a link, when you tap on that link, what you see on the on the uh, the phone or iPod version of it is that a little pane slides up over covering about a third of the screen. Yeah, from the bottom. The it's bottom. black and it's got uh, white text on it. Very readable. Yeah, and it, what it shows is the title of that thing that you clicked on, like the title of that page, and like a byline. And then some introductory text, not the full text of the article, but a little bit of introductory text. And if it doesn't fit on the screen, you can scroll. This is on the, the iPhone version of it, right? And it doesn't cover up the entire thing that you're reading. So you can kind of get a gist of what it's going to say. And I'm assuming he's using Instapaper's like Textifier because it's taking a big giant web page and just showing you like, you know, an inch of it on your screen. And if you didn't use something like Instapaper's Textifier, all you would see was like the top banner ad or like the navigation or something like that. He's He's extracting the the content portion of the page 
and showing you just that. So you can go, you know, you click on that link to see what it is, but you don't, you're not committed to follow, to really follow that link yet. It's showing you a small preview and, and the first paragraph or so of text from that thing. And if you really want to see it, then click on the link uh, in the title there uh, and go to the full article. Uh, so instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to put up web view and I'm going to put the article content in it uh, and then I'm done, right? Uh, he's done more than that. He's, he's made it, you know, and, and the first time that happened, it just felt natural to me. And then I thought about it and said, wait a second, he had to implement that. That's not some like built-in feature, right? When you tap on a link, I just want to say, what is this thing? Should I read this or whatever? And he, since he's someone who reads things in Instapaper, for, I hope he adds this to Instapaper, by the way. I like it. Um, it shows that little preview. Let's see what else. And on, on the I, iPad iteration of this thing, it does a popover, which is a little bit bigger and doesn't slide up and cover the whole bottom of the page, but a similar type of idea. So that, that's an example of him leveraging his own expertise in doing this and probably his own code. You can talk about that on his show. Is he actually using the Instapaper text extractor? I would assume he is. Yeah, of course. I don't, I don't even, you know, I don't even need to ask him. Of course he is. All right. So that's, th- that's, that's his, all... that's his, uh, what do you call it? As you, as you would say, his uh, ace in the hole. His bread and butter. Golden oh, egg. Yeah. The golden yeah. egg. The goose, goose laid the golden egg. Right. So this is a very, people were trying to think of what is Marco going to do for his next app? If they were thinking like he's going to make like, he's going to make a, uh, a uh, massively multiplayer online game or he's going to like just totally crazy sorts of things you were thinking of in retrospect like many moves it seems like oh well, it's obvious he would do something that uh, if he's going to do something like as an experiment he can mitigate risk by doing something where he, he kind of knows what he's doing and on the other hand it's a big risk because uh, as I think he's talking about at Singleton, I'm judging, judging by the tweets that I'm seeing. Marco, by the way, is presenting at the Singleton conference uh, this week. I believe his talk had something to do with uh, being audacious. I think one of the things I saw quoted on Twitter was that authority is not given. It has to be taken. And so he like the, has, that's the Klingon way. Is that what? That yeah, is? you know about that. You've I lived it. about that. Uh, yeah, I, I can't. I can't wait to see his talk because, uh, for one, he did the talk without slides, which is which is brilliant, uh, because this is totally in the independent Mac developer way of doing things, which seems like it could be totally motivated by laziness, and partially it kind of is. But the other secret is that doing less work is better if you're a one man operation. So it's better for Marco not to have to wrangle a staff of thousands. But it's also better for the product because it just simplifies it and clarifies it. Like a lot of the things that you think you need, you don't necessarily need. He, he references the Louis C.K. story in his forward, I believe, where Louis C.K. kept asking his agent, do we need to do all this stupid radio PR to promote my, <laughs> right. my comedy club? And they're like, oh, this is what you do. You go into a city, you have a comedy show, you got to go on the stupid radio station. It's like, yeah, but do we need to do that? Is that just something we always do? And he said, you know what? Let's try not doing that. And he didn't do that and it didn't make a difference. And so he's like, oh, now I don't have to do that anymore. Well, so can you do a presentation without slides? Well, no, you got to have slides. That's what a presentation is. But do you need to have slides or can you just not do that part? And it works just as well. Uh, and that's the experiment that he ran. And for, for the uh, taking authority thing, Marco has gone from a guy who works at Tumblr and is you know, a developer doing their web backend to, and then he wrote like an app in his spare time. And then he became a guy who has a very popular success for iOS application. So he's like, oh, I'm an iOS developer, right? And now he, and then he became, uh, you know, I have a blog that I write stuff on and yeah, I review light bulbs and do all sorts of crazy things like that and talk about coffee beans and stuff. Right. Uh, now I'm a writer. Why am I a writer? Because 
I have a thing and I write on it. I'm declaring myself a writer. So now he's, he's not an, uh, just an iOS developer. Now he's a writer. And now with the magazine, he's like, okay, well, I'm an iOS developer, so I can write an application. Uh, and I'm a writer. Uh, or he's also a podcaster. How, how did he become a podcaster? He has a podcast. And he right. said, well, I'm, I'm a podcaster. Just now go and do podcast, it. Right? And now he's a publisher and an editor. He's editing these articles for this thing. So he's a publisher and editor. And why is he a publisher and editor? No one anointed him a publisher and editor. He's a publisher and editor because he has a publication that he publishes and edits. Right? Uh, so, I mean, this is kind of the way it works. No one else externally is going to just declare that Mark Armand, creator of Instapaper, is now a publisher. Uh, he declares it by publishing something, right? He may be a failed publisher if this thing doesn't work, or he could be a massively successful publisher. And then people will say, Mark Armand, that's the guy behind the magazine. It's like, did you know he had? He also used to write an application called Instapaper? And did you know he worked for Tumblr once? And did you know that, like, uh, I believe his talk is about scaling a career because the theme of Singleton is scaling. And so if you trace Marco's career, he's been many different things and worn many different hats. This is going to turn into a back-to-work episode again. Uh, but you've done the same thing. Or you weren't, you know, just a couple, few short years ago, you weren't uh, Dan Benjamin uh, podcast network mogul. You were Dan Benjamin. <laughs> am, I, am I that now? Well, thank you. Well, I mean. No, but I understand, not- you, I understand your point. What you're saying is, how do, how do you create a, a, a publishing company? You start publishing stuff. How do you? become a writer start writing right it was like if you, know, you how do you live in san francisco and then drive a jet car he's let's move to san francisco there you go yeah so and you were that guy who talks at rails conferences or that guy who the corked guy was that you like you know when people your name would come up there's so many different things they could have associated with your name now of course your name comes up people think five by five but five by five didn't exist right many years ago and just merely by doing it like you know you should you should give a talk about scaling a career because you and Marco have good stories to tell about that. Uh, and of course, the timing of this, you should, you'll talk to Marco, I'm sure, about the timing. But the timing, it was almost perfect because the magazine comes out and then he jets off to Canada to talk at this conference. <laughs> and I'm assuming if, like, say, his, the, the magazine application had not been approved in time. Maybe, he, a whole, maybe a whole different talk. Maybe he gives the same talk and says, I've, I'm now announcing an application, but of course it hasn't gotten through approval yet. But that, that was quite a, a chicken race with the app approval process that he was running there. Uh, and it seems like it was pretty close. So I'm sure he has some good stories to tell about that. Um, so yeah, oh, oh, one, more, one more note on the, uh, the, the 1.0 version of the magazine. It had a bug in it. Uh, that Marco knew about, of course, before it was approved, because that's just the nature of approval. So he's got to be sitting there seething, going, ah, like, mm-hmm. there's this thing, I've got the fix for it ready, but I need to get the 1.0 through to be approved. And the bug was that if you had two different devices, like if you had a, a, an iPhone and an iPad, and you subscribe to it on your iPhone, when you went to your iPad and tried to look at it, it would try to confirm your subscription and fail. Uh, and he just had a bug in there because of, uh, for uh, subscribing to multiple devices. And he immediately submitted the 1.0.1 version, and he used his expedited, uh, you know, developer thing to put that out. Uh, and then it came out like the same day. Was it the same day? I don't remember. I think, I think. it might have been the, the on the exact launch day. By nighttime, the new version was out. So right. this was just a tiny glitch, but uh, that was another chicken race where you know he could have, I assume, pulled the 1.0 and say, "Oh, well, this is this is a showstopper. I don't want people to try to subscribe on two devices and have it fail." Instead, he just you know. Damn the torpedoes, plow ahead, 1.01, get it shoved through, get it to come out as quickly as possible. And in practice, I don't think it was a problem for anybody. Because I know I tried to install it on my iPad. I got the error, 
and then like an hour later, the new thing was out. Of course, now everything is all cured. Hunky dory is, as they say. Yeah, so there's a guy in a balloon now, uh, jumping out of that balloon from like 90,000 feet to do the world's highest skydive or whatever. But I think Marco didn't jump out of a, uh, a capsule strung on a balloon, but he did quite a, uh, a daring high wire act with the introduction of this application. Because remember, like while he's doing this, he's running the Instapaper stuff and get preparing a presentation to talk about this stuff at the same time he's trying to actually get this thing through and fix bugs in it. So it was, uh, I applaud his efforts. Uh, I don't know how the jumper guy, how that turned out for him. But I think uh, Marco landed safely so far. Very cute. So what do you think of uh, let's handicap Marco's odds of success with the magazine? Oh, I, I think it's a shoe in And do you think it's a shoe in because lots of people will want to pay $2 uh, a month to read eight or nine uh, blog length articles from nerd people? I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll give you a few reasons why. Should I make it exciting and do a sponsor first, or should I? That's your way, Dan, yes. Right, let's Tease move, us, and then a little, we'll do a sponsor. Our, our, our next sponsor is Hover.com. I actually registered three domains today. Uh, this is what they do. They're domain name registrar, but they're, they're different. They're simplified domain management, and it's not just about going there and registering. Uh, it's about going there and managing your domains, and there's a subtle difference. Let me tell you about it. You've probably gone to one of these other folks and registered a domain with them, and a lot of the time they sell you stuff you're not interested in or they, uh, they upsell you on, on tons of things just, just so that you, wanna, you just want to go and check out, register domain and that's it and, and be gone. Or you want to go and edit your DNS and you want to wade through 50,000 different menus to do it. These guys are simple. Now, of course you can register .com, .net. They do all the big ones, but they do all the little ones too. And I love the little ones like .co, .tv, some of my favorites. And they make it easy. You just type the domain name you want into their search box if it's available, they'll tell you it's available. They'll also show you some alternatives you might not have thought of. If it's not available, then they'll say, hey, man, you can't register it. It's taken. But look, there, here's some other ones. You can just go and type in a word. You can type in phrases. They'll check it all out. And uh, it, it's really, really convenient. And it's not just a whole bunch of stupid suggestions. They're really good suggestions. So go there and, and, and check it out. Where you go to hover.com slash Dan sent me. Or just use the code Dan sent me. And you'll get 10% off everything you buy. It includes DNS management. They'll transfer your domains. They do that. You know, the domain name transfers. And when you transfer a domain from another registrar, you get the time that you had left at the other registrar plus a year. You don't lose the time. They keep that for you. And you can get 10% off with the code Dan sent me. They do email hosting. They do all of that stuff. And they have human beings who will answer the phone, toll-free number on every page of their site. And if you don't want to go through that transferring of the domain name process, they'll do it for you. You just call them and say, do it. And they do it. Check them out. Hover.com slash Dan sent me. All right. I'll tell you why I think this thing is going to win. First of all, Marco has made quite a name for himself as the guy who, who gets indie publishing. And he has created the perfect vehicle for indie publishing. We all know. I mean, those of us who love our iPhones and our iOS devices as amazing as uh, the browsing experience is on especially a device like an iPad, but on an iPhone too. Browsing around is not really the best way for a lot of us to get our content. A lot of people use news readers. A lot of people uh, are, are interested in getting content a different way. Look at, look at things like Flipboard. Look at things like Twitter. I mean, that's just different ways for us to get our content. And what Marco has done here is he said, look, at, let, let's take this stupid newsstand thing that nobody's putting out good content for. 
and I'll combine it. I'm speaking as Marco right now. And he hasn't, he hasn't told me anything. I know, I know less probably than everybody else about this. And he says, look, I, this Instapaper platform is really great because I'm getting content from all around the web and I've written software that's making it uh, able to, I'm, I'm essentially pulling that content into one place based on users' requests and making it easier for them to read. Why don't I just stop pulling content from around and just get the content myself? It's the same exact model if you think about it, using Apple's infrastructure to distribute this to people. And instead of just relying on content to be created and users to find the content, he's saying, I, I know a thing or two about curating content. In fact, let me go and take it a step further and work directly with the writers, put this thing together. So it's, it's, he's distilled down the things of in, about Instapaper that, or a couple of the things about Instapaper that have made it successful and that people really like. And he's taking the work out of it. It's like, do, it's like Instapaper without the work. Because when yeah. you've got to work to use Instapaper, oh, I want to read this article, Instapaper then later I'm going to go in and have the thing. And someone else has to write it. He said, look, I'll just, I'll just make some really great stuff for you. It's a combination of the, you know, the feature and the brief and all that is pulled together. Here's some content. Don't do anything. We'll send it to you. Of course it's going to work. And it's two bucks a month. Like that's not a lot of money for really anybody. If you have an iPhone, you're, the, two, the extra two bucks to get something like this, I think if, if you find it's right up your alley. Is easy, and because it's through Apple's infrastructure, you don't have to worry very much about, well, if you don't like it, I'll just stop getting it. You don't have to, well, who do I email about that? No. You just stop getting it. Done. Two bucks? There's a couple of interesting things about uh, Instapaper and publications and their relationship. Marco's talked about it at length in his shows, but one of the complaints from publishers is sometimes uh, people come to our site, and then they click their little read later button in their bookmark bar on their browser, and it scrapes our content. Right, it, it scrapes it the content. It. They don't get ads. There's it a problem. Removes, it removes the ads and stuff like that. Here, it's right? legit. Uh, despite the fact that, you know, they've already given you your page view and stuff like that. And, he, and uh, Marco has waffled various times on doing the multi-page scraping versus not doing it. Blah, blah, blah. He's talked about that on the show, right? So now here, Marco is going the other side of the fence and say, I'm going to be a publisher. Uh, and the things he publishes, first of all, like if you look in the magazine app, they look like they've already been instapapered because... Like there's not, there's no banner ads, no navigation. It's just like nicely formatted text. With a, I don't even know if it has a choice of fonts. I think it's just like font size up down. Uh, a limited limited options for the 1.0. I'm sure they'll flesh out uh, as he sees to it. But anyway, it looks like it's already been instapapered. But then I can imagine publishers going, "Oh, well, Marco, how you're trying to sell this publication? How would you feel if people go and start instapapering your articles?" Well, in the application, I think it's in there. Let me look at it now. Uh, the magazine. Oh, my poor slow iPod touch. What do we have here? Yeah, you need to get a new one of those. Maybe it's not in here. Oh, no, there it is at the top. Yeah, there's a share button in the upper right-hand corner of every single article you look at. And the options are the typical iOS, you know, iOS 6 share things, mail, message, Twitter, Facebook, copy, uh, and send to Instapaper. He's integrated the scraping quote unquote of his, his publication. It's in the application to his own you thing. Send, you can send it to Instapaper from here. Now I'm not entirely sure why you would do that, but it does because like I said, it looks, there's no reason there's nothing on this page that makes you want to, Oh, I can't read this here. I got to look at Instapaper. It already looks nice. Right. Uh, but it, it's integrated into the thing because, uh, that's taking advantage of a feature that Instapaper has that other services don't, which is that it can send the content to something that isn't on the public web. Like you can only see these magazine articles, at least until a month later, uh, by subscribing, right? 
but since Instapaper doesn't just send the URL to Instapaper, it takes the actual page content and sends it, and Instapaper can accept the page content, you can send this stuff uh, to Instapaper. Uh, and all, by the way, you can also select and copy and paste the text, which is another infuriating thing that these inane newsstand applications would do. Like you'd get this newsstand application, it would download 700 megabytes of uh, crappy images and image-based text, and then you can't copy and paste from any of it. Because, oh, no, you can't select text. That would violate our copyright <laughs> and stuff like that. So he's walking the walk. All the... The exact, the key and lock fit between how Instapaper works and how he believes the publication, like if you made money by selling your publication with a login, the only people who pay money can see those articles, Instapaper will let you send them to Instapaper in that way as well. But if you make a publication that is nicely formatted, that there's no reason for anyone to send it to Instapaper, uh, A, they've already given you your money anyway, and B, uh, why not let them? Because there's no skin off your back. Now, in his little fact, he's uh, one of the fact items is, are you going to have support for readability and pocket and stuff like that? Like, not just send Instapaper, but send to readability, send to pocket, and stuff right, like that. Right. And his answer on the fact, I believe it's still this way, I don't remember if he's changed it, was LOL, all caps. <laughs> it's like, haha, you think I'm going to send to my competitor's application? Those are his competitors, by the way, readability right, right. And, and pocket, formerly known as something, I don't remember. Uh, and what I tweeted when he mentioned that was that it reminded me of an Apple strategy tax article I wrote a couple of years ago about how the fact that Apple runs the App Store but also has its own bookstore means that there's a tension between Apple providing the best possible platform for, say, the Kindle application versus Apple trying to make the iBook Store successful. So uh, Kindle, in the Kindle iOS application, you can't buy books within the Kindle application. They don't even like you to link out to a web page to buy them. I don't even know if you're allowed to do that anymore. If Apple was just a, a vendor of mobile applications and they were trying to be the best vendor of mobile applications, they would try to have the best mobile applications. And it's much better for the user for you to be able to buy your Kindle books right within the Kindle application. Uh, I mentioned on the show where I talked about this that I think it's more about money than about publication, but there still is a tension between Apple as platform owner and Apple as someone who wants to field its own bookstore, its own you know movie store, its own streaming video service, you know, competing with Netflix and stuff like that. Uh, and the strategy tax is when a single company does multiple things which are kind of in conflict with each other. Your i your your iBooks thing can't be the best it can be because they would squish step on the toes of the people on your platform. And your platform can't be the best it can be because you don't want to you want to like help out your iBook store a little bit because hey you are the platform owner. So here's an instance where he's got a publication and uh, the LOL attitude is like I would never put those guys in here. Why would I? They're my competitors. And so uh, I think that's a little, you know, in this case, the decision is completely justified because those other services, as far as I'm aware, can't do what Instapaper does. You can't send them the content of the article and they will stick it in there and you can't send them the URL or whatever. So it could be just technically speaking, the answer is really not LOL, but even if I wanted to, I couldn't. But the LOL implies that even if I could, I wouldn't. And why wouldn't I? Because they're my competitors. So there's a tension between you're selling me an application that I can read the magazine on, right? Is this the best reading experience I could possibly have? Well, for me, if I'm a user of Readability or Pocket and like that's the service that I use, I would like your application to support the service that I use. And if, that, if that's all you did, is all I do is I make an application through which you can read monthly publications. You can be sure that he would support like the pop, the most popular Read It Later services. He wouldn't just support one. But since he's not just making the magazine application, he's also making Instapaper, he's inclined through just human nature uh, to say, uh, the only read it later service that's available in this application is Instapaper. And why? Well, it's made, because it's made by the guy who makes Instapaper. 
Now, again, the situation here may just be simply that there's a technical limitation, but his answer on the fact was not about technical limitations. It was, you know, laughing could have just been a joke. You know, I'm sure you'll talk about to him about this on his show, but that tension totally exists and I'm sure he's aware of it. And managing that tension is not easy. Apple has trouble with it. And I'm sure Marco will eventually probably have to face it in various ways as well because he is doing two different things. Can he make the best magazine reading experience without supporting those other relator services? Or is he shortchanging his customers by not supporting those other relator services? You know, is that synergy or is that a strategy tax? I should put that strategy tax article in the, uh, the show notes. Uh, and there's no, there's no easy answer here, uh, except for now, if it's a technical impossibility, that's the easy answer. Oh, I'd love to support those services, but I can't. Well, I don't know if you would love to. So I'm sure you can discuss that with him on the show. That, that is definitely an interesting part of going into a second line of business that is in some ways a compliment to your first line, but in other ways, it's, you know, the other side of the fence from Instapaper is taking content and collecting it. And now he's producing content. Do you, do uh, you feel that this could eventually become something that is bigger for him than Instapaper? I'm, I don't know. I'm having trouble handicapping this. I think his, his secret weapon in this entire thing, as I said, is the secret weapon of all indie developers and everyone who writes their own blogs and stuff is low overhead. That he doesn't have to sell eight bazillion subscriptions to this for it to be very profitable, right? Uh, his, he has a fixed, very low overhead for each issue of this thing. And all he's got to do is get, you know, uh, enough people to cover that cost. And then maybe double that number. Now he's making a good profit. And maybe double it again. And maybe, you know, like uh, at some point he can start folding that money back in and paying more money for content that costs more money to produce, Right. Uh, you know, just increasing pay to the people, maybe having more articles, maybe having longer articles. I have to manage that. But it seems to me that just based on the nerds who like know of and follow Marco and who like signed up on day one and are just going to be too lazy to ever unsubscribe. Right. Uh, as long as the content continues to be high quality. Uh, I, it seems like a slam dunk to me. I think Marco thinks it's a slam dunk, too. He said in the in the, in the, the fact is like, you know, if it doesn't print a profit, I'll shut it down. Uh, but he says, but I bet it will. And like he literally bets he's betting by, yeah. by putting his time and energy into this. And that is the bet he's making. And like I'm I have far less experience in this than Marco. But I, I have that same feeling, like a gut feeling. You're like, you don't need to get that many people to read this for it to turn a profit. Right. Uh, it seems like it should work. And if it doesn't work, that'll be that that'll be uh, even more interesting to talk about why did this not work like maybe he can come on his show and give like the actual numbers whether it did work or didn't and say like how close was it to working but it's just it seems like it's a slam dunk that it's going to work it's not a slam dunk that it's going to be this hugely profitable business to rival instapaper right that i think remains to be seen because running a publication you know he can declare himself a publisher and become a publisher but as you learn from declaring yourself a podcast uh, uh network guru and doing that it's really hard like Every new business has new challenges and he's got to meet those challenges. You know, wrangling writers, getting people to write interesting things, doing the editorial process, just keeping it all together. Like you have a fixed calendar based schedule. Uh, you've got to get those articles in on time. You've got to keep finding people to write them for you. You've got to pay the people enough to make them want to write, you know, the whole nine yards. It's not easy to do that. I see it on a, on a big scale with the people who run ours. And that is that's a difficult job, right? This is much smaller scale than something like ours. But He's he's the only right now. He's the only one doing it all. Right. And that's a new set of things you have to do. Uh, so there's a danger of him being spread too thin. There's a danger of, uh, you know, uh, making bad decisions early on when he doesn't have the experience on how to run a publication. Or maybe he just won't like 
what it's like to run a publication. Maybe he likes the idea of someone with, of being someone with a successful publication more than the actuality of what it takes to run a successful publication. Uh, so there are many possible ways this can end, but it seems to me that that four issue thing, I think it's probably already turned to profit. That's my guess. Like on day one, all the people subscribed to day yeah. one because they follow Marco. Like that's it. He's set for four issues already. Yeah. Uh, and then it's going to be just up to him to say, okay, this turns a profit, but it turns enough profit for like me to get an extra coffee every month. Like it's not, I'm not losing money on it, but I'm spending all this time and it's not turning a lot of profit. Uh, or maybe, you know, maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's, an, an, you know, it's like one tenth of instant papers income, but it's still taking like 30% of my time. And I think that's not a good trade off. Or maybe he's in it for the long haul and says, you know what, this is uh, you know, I'm just going to stick to this, even though I'm putting in way more time than, you know, than I'm getting out of it. Because in the long run, I think it'll turn out to be a big business. That's more of an Apple model where, in the beginning, it seems like a loser, but if you just stick with it, you know, it starts to do a hockey stick and you get going. Uh, but I, I think it is interesting because it's, it seems like what newspaper, a newspaper, newsstand has been designed for, which is not uh, take all the old world models and try to cram them into the iPad. It's find a new model that works in this world. Uh, don't be dumb. Allow people to copy and paste text. Allow people to send it to their reading later services. Don't have humongous overhead. We'll take care of all the publication, you know, renewal subscription stuff for you. So you don't have to worry about that. Don't base your business on harvesting user information, even though as a newsstand application, it presents this dialogue, which I'm sure Marco can complain to you once again about that says uh, the magazine would like your like email address and zip code and blah, blah, blah. The magazine would not like it. Like it, that's mandatory. He can't get rid of the dialogue if he wanted to. If you have an auto renewing subscription, it always puts that up. So, um, you know that that's a shame. But that's not his business model. He's not harvesting your information to sell to advertisers. Uh, and the model that he's come up with, a, a, a couple people pay a few bucks a month, and that's it. That's the sim- the simple model. I that feels like that should work, doesn't it? Like that's what we're all. When we ever we make fun of these other people, like uh, I keep picking on the daily, but any of these these publications that you know try to show or the Wired magazine at seven hundred megabytes that try to shove their print world into an electronic version and then complain when they lose money, it's like, well, you're doing it wrong. Like that's it's too much overhead. There's too many people. It doesn't work out. You got to figure out something different, and you can't have all our subscriber information and sell it to advertisers. You know, uh, so I'm like, kind of like App.net. This is kind of the it's like app.net in that I'm rooting for it to succeed because it seems like it should make sense. It's unlike app.net in that initially I thought app.net, there was no chance that it would succeed. This I'm saying, I think it will at least pass this. Does it turn a profit in, in four issues? I think it will definitely pass that. And then it'll just be a question of Marco deciding whether he's in it for the long haul or if it's making enough money to justify it or whatever. So I'm a fan. I like the first four articles. Uh, I give a thumbs up to the idea and to the content. I mean, of course I do, because like I'm, these are people whose blogs I'm reading anyway, and I'm perfectly happy to have them uh, sit down and really think and try to write something of a medium length that I'm going to get every two weeks in this nice little uh, application to read it, even if it is buried in the newsstand folder, which again, Marco can't control. Now, let me ask you another question. Other than the simplicity of newsstand and being in the newsstand folder i mean do you think folks are surprised about that that he didn't release like a completely standalone app that worked in a different way and used in that purchase i mean it makes sense to me but there i saw some people on twitter saying why why didn't you release it as a standalone thing just to get around those limitations of newsstand i'm i'm not surprised about it i think the reason you're not surprised by it and other people who know a little bit about 
iOS, the iOS platform is that newsstand things can do things that regular apps can't. Exactly. They can download issues in the background. Apple handles all the auto and subscription stuff for you. Like, it's a no-brainer to anybody who knows about the implementation that, yeah, this is how, if you want to have low overhead and not worry about all this stuff, this is how you do it. Uh, and in many respects, if you want certain features, this is the only way you can do it on the iOS platform. Uh, so that doesn't surprise me. And if people are surprised, maybe they're not familiar with the limitations. Uh, and I think Marco has talked about them at length when complaining about things that Instapaper can't do that you could do if you were a newsstand app. Um, it, it, in practice, it's probably not as big a deal because it's not like he's would like you to download a 700 megabyte uh, thing in the background. Like these things are, these issues are small. Uh, he could probably get away with not having it be newsstand, but then he did, like this, just the subscription stuff alone to have an auto renewing subscription and have Apple handle all that stuff for you instead of having like a new app purchase every time a new issue comes out or something like that. Like this is the appropriate fit in the iOS platform for what he wants to do. It's just clearly, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what he is doing. It's a perfect fit. Uh, and I think Apple should be very happy that someone is doing this. Uh, I think Apple probably was more happy that Rupert Murdoch was trying to foist this big giant thing on there with the daily, uh, because that seems like a high profile thing or, you know, wired magazine or something. But I think those are not great fits for this platform. And Marco's thing is a better fit. Uh, the other thing I saw people complaining about is why can't I read this on Android? Why can't I read it on the web? You're making a publication that only people who, who are iOS users can read. Those are all valid concerns if it weren't for the fact that this publication if, if ever there's a publication tailored for ios users it's this one it's not like he's making a publication about like you know gardening it's like oh why would you limit a gardening publication to just people who use ios that does, you're right that doesn't make sense but why would you limit an article by and for mac apple nerd people to ios because they're all gonna have ios devices anyway right now, I think he's still thinking about how to handle the web. Is there a web incarnation? Can you sign in with like your newsstand subscription on the view on the web? How does that work? I don't know how that if you go to the website now, it's like the hyphen magazine.org, I believe. Uh, you can see like previews of all of the articles, and then it just links you to like if you want to read the rest of this article, subscribe to the thing or whatever. Um, I'm not sure what he's gonna do on the web there, but in this particular the case of this particular publication. And in the case of his business plan and having lower overhead and not having to make a web version, not having to make an Android version, all that stuff, it makes perfect sense for this to be iOS only. Um, for now, anyway. What do you think? I think you done talking about the magazine? I don't know. Do you want to talk about some more? I want to, I want to make sure we cover everything so that... Marco has nothing to talk yeah, about. Yeah, tomorrow uh, when, when Marco and I talk, that, he, that literally he's, he says, I, I wish there was something I could add. Oh, John there's so covered. much... There's so much he can add. I, I'm trying not to actually spill all the beans. I've actually probably mistakenly said too much already, but I believe Marco will have many, many more things to talk about. Many, many more things to talk about, about this thing. Certainly about, you know, his presentation, which I've only seen like three tweets about. He can talk about the actual presentation he gave. Well, there's only like eight or nine that, people no. go to that, that conference. Seems like it, right? And they all fit in a little room. It's one little room. It's up in, what is it, uh, Toronto or Montreal or what? It's all the same up there. And Canada. That's yeah. where it is. And, uh, I mean, there's like five people You might as well just sat, you know, put a, use, use this, uh, MacBook, uh, camera to do it and streamed it. Yeah. They will, all those singleton videos will be up on the web eventually. So, uh, I'll look forward to seeing that. I, I mean, it, 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 I'm just trying to imagine the situation you described earlier where the app doesn't come out in time. Do you think he would have had like a fallback plan, like showing screenshots of it or would he have just, he didn't have slides. There was nothing to yeah, show. So I he had nothing he to show. Announced. That's right. I think he would have gone up there. Because what is he going to do? I think he would have gone up there and said, uh, 
I have a new thing. It's called the magazine. The plan was for you to be able to download it today, but you can't because of whatever the reason is. You think is. he would have done that or he would have just yeah. pivoted? No, I think he would have talked about it. You can ask him. I, I mean, that's the only question I'm going to ask him. Well, you got to ask him way more than that. But yeah, I'm sure he will have a lot to talk about. And, then, and a lot of people said, oh, you know, this, this schedule shuffle with, you know, your, your jet setting around. We had to move the show to Sunday and everyone's shows got moved because you were traveling. Uh, and it's like, oh, Marco can't catch a break. Now he's not even going to get to talk about his own thing. Uh, <laughs> previously, I'd been talking about a lot of topics that both of us would like to talk about on our shows, but my show happened to come first. And once again, I get to talk about it first. Yeah, I mean, who, who knew this time slot was so fortuitous, such a, a boon, a boon for you. Yeah, and, and it didn't make sense to people like, oh, you know, John's going to steal your topic. And as he pointed out, like, why would he complain about someone else, you know, giving basically free publicity to his publication? It's going to make tons of people who had never heard of the magazine go and look into it and maybe download it and maybe subscribe. Right. Yeah. He's, he's she's going to talk about it in his show and it's, it's double publicity. So I encourage everyone to go check it out. You can ask him. The other thing you should ask him is what seven day free trial means. I guess that means like you haven't actually spent any money. And if seven days you cancel the subscription, doesn't charge you anything. I'm not. I'm not familiar with Newsstand, as you might notice, with the magazine being my one lonely thing. In yeah, the have you read anything else in Newsstand before this? I just recently, like last week, on my iPad only, downloaded. I, I did a. I bought a single issue of Edge magazine, which is a, a Newsstand thing, uh, on my iPad because Edge magazine is a gaming magazine and it's from the UK and it cost a tremendous amount of money for me to get paper versions over here. It's probably the most expensive yearly subscription I have. And I, and I like the magazine. I really do like it, but I don't like paying that much. I'm like, maybe I could try the digital version. It would be cheaper. It's a little bit cheaper, uh, but usually digital versions are kind of cruddy. So I tried one out, a single issue for like five bucks. And that is like an example of it's got tons of you know images and hundreds of megabytes and movies and stuff like that. And I'm kind of on the fence about it. I, okay. I would probably get if it was free with the other stuff. But so anyway, on my iPad, I have two newsstand things i have this one issue of edge magazine that i'm going through now as, as you know testing the waters and i have the magazine in there so i'm not familiar with the the process and the ends of that at newsstand um so marco can talk more about that but yeah at 199 yeah this this seems like <laughs> not a big risk for me to just subscribe to that and check it out and i've enjoyed all the articles and i hope i continue to enjoy all the articles one of the title suggestions is uh, a boon for Syracuse County. Coming in it's from not time the, yet, guys. Not time. The Jackals in the chat room. Third sponsor, SourceBits.com. These guys are uh, super, super cool folks. They, they're a mobile app development house. They help you. You come to them with an idea. You say, this is, the, this is what I want to build. And maybe it's an iOS app. Maybe it's an Android app. Maybe it's both. Maybe it has a web backend. doesn't matter. They do all of this stuff. They've got over 300 developers, interface designers, and they can put as many of these folks, you have access to them all. They can put as many of them as necessary on your project. And that's a, well, 300, these guys must only take giant projects. No, they take things of all sizes. You have a tiny little app that has one little function. They can build that. You've got something that's integrated, that has a web backend, that's the tiny two million things, and you need a website. They'll do it. They've done it for more than 500 applications. They've got 20 of those that have reached the top 10 in global application marketplaces, and they understand how to apply brilliant design and take your idea and turn it into something real, turn it into something that hopefully makes some money. And they have an end-to-end product strategy. I mean, all the stuff that you would want, they've got engineers and designers that can take a sketch that you've come up with and you say, I don't know how to build this thing, but here's how I want it to work. They can turn that into an app. They can turn that into a website. And apparently uh, they know 
all the ins and outs of this because they have some of the best developers in the business doing it. Go check them out at sortsbits.com. That's the place to go. Let them know you heard about it here on 5x5. You know, John, I used to say, oh, you don't want a couple college kids. Like, you don't want to hire a couple college kids who are going to, you know, tell you they can build something and it takes them six months to build it. And then I started getting emails from college kids who were saying, why are you ragging on college kids, dude? It's ageist. And I said, you know, well, I mean, you could be, you could be 60 years old in college. I mean, you can still be a kid at, at 70. That's what I'm told. Mm-hmm. You're only as old as you feel, John. But uh, so I said, you know what? You're right. Any developer could, could do that, not just college kids. And these guys are, they're legit. They're, they're a real business. And they've been doing this for years and uh, they're great. So check them out, sourcebits.com. A couple things from the chat room here. Uh, somebody linked to the actual tweet where someone re- uh, where Marco replied to his LOL fact entry about how pocket readability. He says, "I don't think pocket or readability can even save non-public links with HTML." Uh, so I link that tweet in the show notes. And someone in the chat room, Shinohara, says that uh, somewhere Marco apparently said he's already got enough readership to make a profit, but he can't find where he said that. So. Uh, it could be that my guess that he's already in the black uh, is actually true. But I, I didn't see him say that on Twitter or app.net, so maybe I missed it somewhere. Yeah, I'm kind of excited about the, the magazine thing. Uh, like, well, okay, ex- so did he, did he go into detail about how, like, is he reaching out to the writers and saying, I will, you know, write a piece, or can you get in touch with him to submit I think both. He has both. reached out to people, and I think he has said somewhere, "You do you want to write for the magazine? Drop me a line. He said, I think it's in the fact. Like, send me a pitch. Send me a story pitch. What did you and pitch you, to him? Um, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say what I pitched to him. Okay. But, you know, you want to keep it, keep it secret, dude. And so yeah. at least I got you to reveal that you did pitch something. See? Yeah, well, when, when I heard that he was doing this... Why not? Like, I feel like, okay, I got to think of something that I want to saying this thing right? you know i think you know what i think you should start doing what i think you should because you know you do the os 10 thing uh, or os x thing as you say for uh ours maybe you start doing an ios review and you do it here <laughs> in a thousand words no, yeah I think he, thousand he words wants, no see wants, that's uh, the thing is you need constraints you write too much uh, that's just too i have too constrained i i, <laughs> I forget what his original thing was like i think he said he wants to be like 800 to a thousand but it's not like a hard and fast limit right but that's like the kind of length he's looking so i uh, you know I immediately said, I want to be part of this, right? Because I like the idea and I need to think of something that fits into this format. And that's what I endeavored to do. So many people are saying that you know, I iOS is smaller I than write for this thing. I, I feel the same way. iOS is smaller than OS ten. Fewer words needed. Do it here. Just saying. I don't know. I think they're about the same size at this point. Okay. That's what she said. I thought you were off that. Now I'm back. You're back, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't right. even a good one. No, it wasn't. You're rusty. You're I rusty know. now. I'll warm up. Getting warmed up. Yeah, my final topic, which I don't think we have time to do justice, but I'll just tease it maybe and we'll talk about it on the other show or maybe we'll talk about it a little bit, is on uh, this week's, I think it was this week's Back to Work. I think in the, the pre-show part of the show that doesn't have a name but should like the part where you talk about things that are not the topic of your show, but it's not follow-up. What do you call that part of Back to Work? Uh, the beginning. Dan and Merlin's special time. <laughs> quite special alone time together, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, and in this one... <laughs> now, wait, before you get in that, from the chat room, uh, we have uh, Shinohara, or Sayonara, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong, and uh, Duan, who I believe is Daniel Duan, who have each submitted a link. The first one uh, is a Twitter link that says, thanks for an amazing first day, everyone. The magazine is number one in newsstand today, even beating the New York Times for new downloads. Yeah, and, I read that too. And he has the same thing on... Uh, on alpha.app.net. Is that worth putting in the show notes? I already did. Cross-posting. Okay. Oh. I, don't like, I don't like cross-posting to do the same thing. I, I know. But, but anyway, yeah, I did see that. But that's not the same as saying he's already turned a profit. It show notes at 5by5.tv slash hypercritical slash 89, right? Yep. Okay. All right. So uh, what Marlon was talking about in his special time with you this week was <laughs> a bit about Twitter and app.net and... Right. He, Merlin had been cranky about app.net for a while. He doesn't want to have to have the second service to thing. And he talked a little bit of this week about how he uses Twitter and his frustrations with it and frustrations with checking multiple places and what he doesn't do, does and doesn't do on Twitter. And I think we may have talked about the exact same thing. So this topic may actually be a repeat, but I think at least some part of it will be fresh because app.net exists now and didn't exist when we last talked about it. And maybe we never talked about it. I don't know. I'm old. I can't remember. I apologize if this is a repeat, but I wanted to talk about how I use Twitter because I think that topic, like that was like a topic for like 2008 when people were like Twitter, have you heard about this Twitter thing? And then uh, you'd go like, well, I've been using Twitter for a year now and here's how I use it. And then you'd try to explain to them what Twitter is and why they might get some value out of it and why they might want to use it. And then that conversation goes away because everyone just knows what Twitter is. But now app.net is here. And I think the topic is fresh again because it's like, well, now what do we do? What, what are you doing in app.net that's different than you're doing on Twitter? What do you want app.net to be? Do you want it to be different to Twitter? you want it to just be a better Twitter? Do you leave Twitter to go to app.net? Uh, and I think I have probably a whole show's worth of discussion on this, which I don't want to get into at 90 minutes into this show. But uh, I'll leave this out there for a teaser for next week to think about how anyone listening to the show, I'm assuming uh, most of the people listening to the show either have a Twitter account or have an app.net account or both. Think about how you do or don't use those accounts and why. Uh, that's your homework for for this show. And we'll come back next week. And assuming something or shattering doesn't happen, we'll talk about that because I've this is actually by far the farthest. <laughs> like that that magazine thing was like a half a screenful, and then this Twitter thing is like four screenfuls of stuff. So I'm I'm probably going to ramble on at quite extensive length about how to get value out of Twitter or how I get value out of Twitter and App.net and how they differ from each other. Uh, but I don't want to give it short shrift, so we're not going to stick it in today. And I know people, <laughs> now that I'm I'm being so disciplined about the shorter shows, people are like, he shouldn't feel like he has to keep them shorter. Uh, don't do it on our account. We love the long shows. I know you do, but this is for me. Some things have to do for me. Yeah, I this feel like is, I need to tighten them up. It's your time. That's right. And I, and for the record, I've I've never said to you, John, I'd like to do a, sh- a shorter show. Have I? Nope, nope never. Not once. And I, because I don't believe that. I believe that you should do the show that's as long as the show that you would like to do. And in the great words of a great man, you know, I've been thinking about this. And if I'm here and you're here, isn't this our time? It is. Yes, it is. Can you name that then? Hmm. It's too obscure, too obscure for you. Someone in the chat room is going to get it, but that'll be fine. What ha- What do they get if they get it? Do, you, do you, they get a dinner Dinner with uh, Sir, in, in Syracuse County? They get respect, Dan. Okay. They get respect. It was out of respect. This one time? Yeah, you got that one. See, you're with me there. <laughs> I know okay. where you're going. We're, we're all, we're all I know all about that one. All I right. just rewatched that again. I know. It seems like it's on a constant loop in your house. I'm worried, <laughs> a little worried about uh, Joel and the baby. It, it, it <laughs> seems, seems like, like it's it not is. age appropriate. <laughs> I don't care about that. 
Yeah, you don't. No, they don't understand that. Oh, they understand everything. The baby <laughs> understands. Just yeah. wait. Yeah. Baby's okay. first word. <laughs> going to be something we can't say <laughs> yeah. until the after dark. Yeah, it'll be four, four letters. Uh-huh. Not mama. <laughs> uh, all right so i think we can wrap this up all right if as as you wish yep princess bride yep so you can go to uh five by tv slash hypercritical slash 89 and you can see all the show notes and links that uh john has mentioned for this episode you can follow john on uh, both twitter and alpha.app.net as syracuse s-i-r-a-c-u-s-a I'm Dan Benjamin on Twitter, Dan on alpha.app.net. Appreciate you listening. We appreciate you visiting those sponsors. And of course, it really, really helps us out if you were to take a moment and rate the show on iTunes. You do that just by searching for Hypercritical in the iTunes store and it will come up and you can give it some stars. You can write a long, lengthy review as John would like you to do. If you want to get in touch with us, you go to 5by5.tv slash contact, pick Hypercritical from the list, type your thing. We'll get it. John will probably not reply, but he may read it on the air. And that's uh, that's all the business I have to do here. Anything else, John? You covered it. All right. Have a good one. Talk to you in a little less than a week. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's I right. I know. It's going to be trippy. All right. See you then. Bye.